Thank you, Mary. That was so lovely. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn again to John chapter 15. We'll be there in, in just a moment. Many of you here today have a little round scar. It's on your arm, right about here. Usually it's the left. Uh, not all of you have that. Uh, but I and many of the kids when I was around wore that as a, as a badge of courage. Uh, this, was, this was our vaccination. Uh, when, when I was coming along, uh, the vaccination for polio had just really come out and gotten really strong, but a lot of people had some questions about it. Uh, I, I was vaccinated. Um, I didn't know this fellow at the time, but I later would have a friend named Terry that was born just a few months before me, and his parents decided not to have him vaccinated against polio, and you kind of guess where that story went. He caught it, and, and I did not. And so we have talked an awful lot about that off and on over the years. Even today, there's a movement against vaccinations, but history has proved that inoculating folks is good not only for individuals, but for the community when it comes to diseases. Now, vaccination works this way. It trains the body's immune system to recognize and combat pathogens, either viruses or bacteria, whichever it may be. And the body builds up a natural resistance to these intruders. To do this, certain molecules from the bacteria or the virus are injected into the body, and the body's natural immune system then combats them and builds up a natural immunity against that specific disease, whatever it might be. Now, there's a dark side to immunization. Now, I'm not talking about some of these theories out here that it causes uh, all kinds of different diseases and such. I'm, I'm not talking about that. The dark side of immunization, really, I'm talking about, has nothing to do with hypodermic needles or vaccines at all. It's about those who have been in, uh, inoculated, vaccinated against a real relationship in Jesus Christ. I fear there are many folks, especially here in the South, that have had small doses of church or religion or good works or a social gospel or a name it, claim it kind of, of preaching to where they have become immune to the genuine faith of the gospel. Those who have succumbed to this are they're satisfied with being immune, uh, immunized against hell, but they don't have any bit of heaven. Their lives look much more like the world and those who are still going to hell than those who are going to heaven. They have no interest in the things of God. They have no interest in the Word of God. And it's kind of like Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. He said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the actual power of it. Jesus actually addressed the Pharisees along these very own lines. Because they had all the form, all the outward appearance of being really super, super religious and spiritual. But to him, he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's a scathing condemnation. Which brings me to our passage today. We've been studying the 15th chapter of John, taking our time with each and every one of these verses. 
And we've learned in that that Jesus is using this very powerful analogy. He said, I am the vine. I am the true vine. There are many others out there, but they're imitations of me. I am the true vine. My Father, God, is the vine dresser. So he cares for the vine and all of the branches that grow out of the vine. Then he says, you are the branches. And we have found that the secret that he wanted to teach was in that little word abide. If you abide in me, he says, then you're going to bear much fruit. And we looked into what that abide means. It means to draw your source of life, your very essence and strength from that living in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's something that is day to day and moment by moment. It is something that, that we find that we are absolutely driven to. We, we can't live without Him. And we looked at how, what that abiding looks like. But we come to a verse today where the focus is on those who do not abide. And this is where we want to hang out today. Look there again at verse 6. John chapter 15 and verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, if anybody does not draw their life source and essence from me, if I am not the source of their life and eternal life in essence, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Kind of heavy words for this passage that predominantly is very, very positive. But here's a rather negative word that comes across. Let's pray about this. Holy Spirit, we ask you, if you will, to gather very close to us. Holy Spirit, you know as we go word by word and verse by verse through our Bible, there are those passages that just fill us with all kinds of, of, of hope and positive, warm feelings. And there are others that call us to question, to question what's being meant and how we are to respond. We can't just ignore these verses. We can't just pretend that they're not there. So Holy Spirit, as we deal with one of those that, that have a darker outcome, Lord, bless us with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, give us your presence and your interpretation today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now, now, let me say this. The purpose of my message today, I, I'm not interested in causing anybody to have any doubts, frightening anybody, questioning any, about anyone's salvation. That's really not my job. That's, that's not what this is about at all. But we are told in the Word of God to make our calling and election sure and to determine what is it that we are depending on. Where is it that we're drawing our confidence and our assurance? And that is what this is about. The outward expressions of faith are important, but those are not the things that guarantee salvation. It is transformation of heart and life that is the guarantee of salvation. So, this morning, I, I, I want to come here... I want to first of all differentiate between this verse and verse 2. Will you look with me again and look with me at verse 2. Verse 2 says, every branch in me. Now you see that's abiding in me. Hold on to that because this differentiates it from the 6th verse. Every verse in me that does not bear fruit. What does it do? He, he works out a remedy. We're not going to go into all of that all over again because we spent so much time with that. But he works out a remedy if the branch is in him. That's the key. 
if the branch is in him. But when we look down at verse 6, it's talking about if anyone does not abide in me. So, so I share this with you because I want you to, to know these are two entirely different entities. Verse 2 talks about the believer that is abiding in Christ, but he's not being fruitful. And God has a remedy for that. Okay? But here in verse 6, he's talking about the person who is not abiding in him, who is not genuine, who is not really in him at all. This person is not a real branch of the vine. Rather, he's a counterfeit. I want you to see a little diagram that the guys have fixed up for me, and maybe this will help to explain that. Put that up for me, Ms. Pam, that first one, if you will. Ah, here it comes. There it is. Okay. All right. We see here on this vine, we see several branches, and you see the fruit coming off of those. And look at this one right here. There is a withered stick that's just taped into the trunk. All right. This is a picture of verse 6. This is what I want you to hold on to. There are those who are genuinely abiding, abiding in the vine, and they are, are growing and they're producing fruit. But here is a withered stick that's just taped into the vine. It's not in the vine at all. Let, let me show something to you. One of our guys was busting wood here the other day and, and brought me this. Okay? This is the, the, out, the bark was on here, but it fell off. Here's the branch that's coming out. See how it's coming out, of the, coming out of the very trunk of the tree? What I want you to see in here is look how deeply this branch goes into the tree. It's way into the very center of the tree. This branch drew its life, its source, from the very depths of the middle of the tree. It wasn't just taped to the outside. It was in the tree. You see, this is the picture of verse 2. What you saw on the board is the picture of verse 6. And they're very, very different. I want you to hold on to that for a moment. Jesus told folks that spoke all the right words and even did some of the, the right actions, but that he knew their hearts and he knew their hearts was far from him. He said these words in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, this is an amazing thing that there, there are some who have outward appearance that they're genuine in their faith. But Jesus is saying, they may go through the motions, they may say the right things, may they even do some of the right things. But there's a huge difference. Because in the depths of their heart, they're not drawing their life essence from me. They're drawing it from other sources. I'm the true vine. There are other vines that are false vines. They're drawing other sources, but it's not from me. Probably the most scathing, I think, illustration that Jesus gave that was found in the book of Matthew. If you turn to Matthew 13 for a moment. Matthew 13. And he spoke a parable, and then later the disciples said, will you explain this parable to me? And he did. 
So let's read the parable, then we'll read the explanation. The parable begins in verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did we not sow good seed? Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but, rather, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now we're going to look over to verse 36, but before we do, Pam, will you put up the other illustration you've got up there? Here is an example of the wheat and the tares. They're very, very similar and, and, and the stalks are very similar. And until they grow up and the wheat over here begins to bud out, it's very, very luscious pr fruit. Then the tares start dropping their additional seeds as well. And it's not until they're fully grown that you can tell them apart. And so let's look as Jesus explained this. Look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus himself. The field is the world. Now this is different from the earlier parable about sowing the seed. The seed, good seed is the, is the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son will, will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those that practice lawlessness, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, what is Jesus saying here? He's, he's saying that God goes out and he sows in this world genuine believers, people who have genuinely been transformed by the power of God, whose life essence and source is Jesus himself flowing through them. But wherever God sows his good seed, the enemy comes and always is sowing counterfeits. And they're always, always with us. But listen, folks, we are not called on to distinguish the wheat from the tares. That's not our job. Our job is not to be the inspectors. Our job is to be the evangelist. Our job is to be continually sowing the true word of God. Because I tell you what, God alone knows. God alone knows. And each and every person in their individual heart. Well, what bothers me so much today is asking the question, what about these counterfeits? The scripture tells us that Satan has counterfeit Christians, 2 Corinthians 11:26, who have a counterfeit gospel, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He encourages a counterfeit righteousness, Romans 10, 1 through 3. 
He has a counterfeit church, Romans 2.9. And he'll produce a counterfeit Christ, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. And so, with that being sure, I, I ask the question, what is it that causes people to be confused? It's where we put our trust, folks. We're called to put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone. Not in any works that we might do, not in any outward appearance that we might make, but in a genuine, transforming experience of God in Jesus Christ. Let me share with you about Paula Webster. This is from Paula's testimony. Paula had been raised in a Christian home, had been given a Christian education, and was settled down in what seemed to be a great Christian marriage and home. She was active in her church and even had regular times of personal Bible study. She said that anyone who asked her if she was a Christian, she would say yes, absolutely, and immediately. Yet in the depths of her heart, she knew something was missing. She knew about God and she sensed that she did not actually know him. She felt frustrated and unhappy. As she did study your Bible, she was particularly attracted to David and Paul. Because each of these men clearly had a heart for God. They knew about God, but they also loved God. And their obedience flowed out of their love for God. It was an expression of that love. As she studied their lives, she realized that something was wrong in her own heart. And she asked God to change her. She asked God to come into her very life. And here in her own words is what happened. <clears throat> At that moment, I surrendered my life entirely to God. I knew that He'd heard me and accepted my surrender. I was conscious immediately that a great burden had been rolled off of me. I knew that I had been forgiven and cleansed, and I knew that God was in the process of changing my heart. Peace like a great calm followed the storm of the sea, and joy unspeakable filled my heart. I knew that the great war within me had ceased. The sense that all had been made right replaced the agitation and confusion and restlessness that I had felt only moments before. I had finally been subdued and conquered by the Lord of glory. And God no longer seemed distant or impersonal, but very near. I was no longer unclean. I was no longer unsure. I knew I had been born again. Now, listen to that testimony for a moment. Paula trusted in the faith of her parents. She trusted in the preaching of her church. She trusted in her heritage. She trusted in her church life. She did all of the right kind of things. She trusted in her activity and her involvement. She was a good person. She certainly wasn't like any real, vile, ugly sinners. She trusted in her inherent goodness, the stability of her family, and the culture that she had grown up in. And these all gave her a false sense of assurance. Letting her assume that because she did all these things, she was somehow saved. But in her heart of hearts, she knew she was going through the motions. 
She knew that the essence of who she was had never been transformed by Christ. But after she genuinely surrendered to him and trusted in Christ and Christ alone for her salvation, not in the things she could do or the, the way she could be accepted or the actions she could do, these things grew out of the transformation that had happened in her heart. It made all the difference in the world. Now, it's both very, very, very subtle, but also monumental. The subtle was, no longer was she doing these things because this was what was expected, or this was what was right, or this was what a good person would do. These things she began to do out of the overflow of God's love and the way he was changing her life moment by moment and day by day. You see the distinction? The burden of my heart today is, is for those who have been deceived by accepting counterfeits for genuine faith. It's for folks that are taped to the vine rather than, than their branches plunged deep into the sole source for life and strength that is Jesus Christ. St. Peter wrote this, Therefore, brethren, be even the more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will not stumble. If we do what? If we make our calling and election sure. Here is my heart cry today. Don't substitute anything for a personal heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Church membership, great. No substitute. Generosity, wonderful, no substitute. Baptism, tremendous, no substitute. Knowledge of the Word, knowledge about Jesus, fantastic, no substitute. Good works, service, all of these can be counterfeited by the world. All of these can be counterfeited by, by Satan. In all of these, see, I become the priority. It's, it's all about me. And it's about me being able to manipulate God by the things that I do. Rather than Him transforming me to be the person He wants me to be. We have to be careful in our preaching. That we preach... Not salvation from hell, but salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that, that we, we, we get a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Rather, we get into a personal, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Too many people will take the experience they had as a child or a teenager or as a young adult that nothing ever else has happened to them on a spiritual level really since. And yet they'll let that anchor them as if it's some kind of ticket into eternity. That in the beginning of a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with God. What have you and God been doing today? What have you been engaged in personally with Him? How has that salvation been living out in your life? That's the question. Some believe that they could make a decision 
for Christ at an early age and then, then live like hell. That's exactly what Paul was referring to in Romans chapter 6 when he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Look, folks, if hell didn't exist, I would still need to be saved. I'd need to be saved from me and from my own wicked heart and depraved mind. See? It's not about escaping hell. It's about a transformation in the depths of our heart. For all the counterfeiters, what it's really about is self-improvement. Let me, let me take these ten steps. Let me take these, do these five things to where I'll, I'll look better. I'll be better. But faith in Christ is not about self-improvement, folks. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you about a friend of mine named Cecil. Cecil was a deacon in a church that I pastored. Dear, dear friend. He comes here a couple times a year. Comes him and his, his sweet wife, Patsy. They'll come and visit with me. And then usually around Passion Play time, he's usually here almost, almost every year we've done Passion Play. Their boys grew up being involved in that. Cecil was a deacon and a teacher in a former church before he came to the past church I pastored. Brought up in a godly home taken to church as an early age, baptized with a bunch of his kids his own age, grew up there, was a great natural leader and was given leadership position. He taught boys in Sunday school, served on committees, was ordained as a deacon. But all the while, Cecil would tell you, he knew something was missing. He did not have the deep, innate joy of Christ in his life. He was following in his parents' footsteps. He was doing the things that were expected of him by his uh, wife and boys. But there was an emptiness there. He had to force himself to keep the disciplines of the faith. But they were empty to him. He knew he was going through the motions. Then one day, Holy Spirit opened his eyes about the man that he really was. An impersonator. A pretender. A counterfeit. And in that worship service, he rushed to the altar. He confessed to the Lord Jesus. He'd just been going through the motions and doing church. But he had never had a heart transformation. As he, after he wept at the altar, he stood a new man. A true branch out of a true vine. Depending on Christ and Christ alone for his eternal life. Cecil surrendered his ordination. He resigned from his Sunday school class. He put himself under his pastor to be discipled. And he would tell you how easy it is to be confused and to substitute a form of godliness for the real thing in Jesus Christ. And he would ask you today to make your calling and your election sure. Folks, the power of life is only in the vine. The power of life is not in the branch. It has to flow through the vine and into the branch. Only the vine and the vine dresser knows those branches that are genuinely in the vine and those that are not. Only the branch, only the vine, only the vine dresser knows. That's where the wheat and the tares come into the picture. 
Today only you can determine whether or not you're in Christ. There's no committee that can do that for you. There's no pastor or minister that can do that for you. Only you can know that for sure. If you're genuinely born again and in Christ, or if you followed a culture and gone through the motions of church, nobody knows that but God and you. Don't put your assurance in something that happened to you decades ago that's not been followed up, that God does not continue to have that wonderful movement in your life. Don't trust in any actions you've taken. Trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Apostle John would say, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. So the invitation this morning is simply this. Make your calling and election sure. I want you to know that you know that you know that your confidence is in Jesus and not in yourself. Or anything you've done. It's got to be Christ alone. Plus nothing. Just in Christ. Will you pray with me right now? Father God, I ask Holy Spirit to be loosed in power here today that he might speak to our hearts. Lord, there's been time in my own life that you've called me to attention and asked me, Fred, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in me or are you trusting in your own ability? Are you trusting in me or your own wisdom? Each of us have to stand before you from time to time to answer those questions. Maybe today there's someone here, a great person, a tremendous individual, benevolent, generous, kind, busy, but maybe in the depths of their heart they know there's something's missing, that their trust has been in something that happened decades ago, but Nothing has happened since. Or maybe in a membership, or maybe in their generosity, or maybe trusting in any number of different actions. But this morning, Holy Spirit, you're speaking right to our heart and saying the only thing you can put your trust in is not a thing but a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Is He the Master? Is He the Lord? Is He your life? Is He your source for all things eternal? If He is, then join in celebration of that. If He is, join in celebration that He has rescued you and transformed you from the person you were to the person that you're becoming. Celebrate. But if like Patty, or if like Cecil, if you're being honest with yourself and honest with God, you've just been going through the motions, then let me ask you to pray along with me and just say, Dear God, I've been trusting in the wrong things. I've been, I've been trusting in something that happened 
30, 40, 50, 60 years ago and, and not something that's happened this month or this week or today. If I'm honest with you, God, I don't have a relationship with you. I know about you, but I don't know you. But right now, I want to put my faith in Christ and Christ alone. I want everything I do to flow out of a love relationship with you. Come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. Be the boss, the king, the ruler of my life. I surrender my life to you. Father, I know on the basis of your word that you have never, ever, ever ignored or refused a heart prayer like that. And you're not going to do it today. Every person that has made that prayer their own has stepped into eternal life. And we want to celebrate that in the next few moments as Ed leads us in this invitation song. Lord, I just ask you to move mightily in our midst. Those may want to come to the altar and just pray. Others may want to come and take one of our ministers by the hand and just, just say, I prayed with the pastor. Lord, this is your time. We want to be all about you. We want you to be magnified in this part of our worship. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.